Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today in the show, we're going to talk a little about plant tissue analysis. Once your crop gets growing, this is really important. We'd like to have you pulling some plant tissue samples just to find out what's actually making it into that plant for nutrients. Now, I would say this, the soil test is more important, but this is another data point, and it hopefully will be many data points. So we're going to talk today about doing plant tissue analysis, when do you need to do it, it, basically how often through the season, and what can you really learn from plant tissue analysis. So if you've got a call or a question for us, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to get to the AG-PHD mailbag in just a minute. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. But coming back to this plant tissue analysis thing, I, I just say when we do our informal surveys of farmers, typically it's 95% of people are not using plant tissue analysis. I, I would tell you it's helped us out a lot on our farm over the years to make things better, to fine-tune our fertility program. And I, I, I think with especially this year and what's happening in the world right now with this whole Russia-Ukraine war, I don't think fertilizer prices are coming down anytime soon. And then you compound that with we have really high fuel prices. Well, that means logistics and let's face it, with fertilizer, a lot of this, a lot of the cost is logistics, moving that stuff around. So when fertilizer is high priced, my point is simply this. We as farmers and as agronomists have to try to do everything we can to keep the cost down by figuring out, all right, which nutrients are paying, which ones aren't. Am I getting certain nutrients into the plant or am I not? So again, we're going to talk plant tissue analysis throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Speaking about nutrients, we got a question that came in from Bradley, and he said, uh, the decay of corn stalks, especially within a soybean canopy, brings up a few questions for me. First of all, uh, do you believe humidity levels are raised within a soybean canopy or within every or, and or within every crop canopy? Well, I would say this, walk out there and then answer that question yourself. When I walk into a cornfield or even into a soybean field that's fully canopied and lush, feels a lot more humid to me. I can't say that I've conducted extensive studies on this or anything, no, I, I but it makes definitely, complete sense. Definitely more humidity. And then right. the follow-up, he said, and he's got a few questions here. The next question, he said, okay, so if so, if you do have more humidity, yep. does that mean that residue is going to rot faster once that crop has a canopy and the higher humidity levels? Well, if the fungal component of what's going to break down those stalks, there's no question. If there's more humidity, more moisture, the fungal component can and, work faster. And less wind. I mean, that's one of the things. It slows the wind down, so then the temperature gets a little hotter. So one of the things they talk about quite often, inside the canopy, it's hotter. 5, 10, 15 degrees hotter. So, yes, it will speed the breakdown. Perfect. Because the next question he said, how does sunlight or lack thereof contribute to re residue breakdown? I believe that, this is me speaking now, uh, I believe that the sunlight isn't as much of a, 
an important factor as much as the heat. If we have warmer conditions, that's going to be better for all those microbes that are trying to break things down. So I think that's going to be good. And then he said, is there anything else to discuss in relation to residue breakdown within a crop canopy in terms of when those nutrients will be available and so forth? You know, I, I guess the big thing I look at is we want those stocks to break down. We want those nutrients to be recycled and reused. And what we see in fields where we have good soil health, we've got great drainage, we've got lots of microbial activity, lots of earthworm activity, is we see residue breaking down faster. We see those nutrients releasing faster for our crops. So we don't want to see residue that builds up in a field over years. So, yes, you want to, it, there's a lot of things like you had mentioned here heat, humidity, moisture, all those things that those are all big deals but but now we've got to do everything we can to encourage good microbial growth the biggest part of that is keeping plenty of oxygen in the soil uh, that's going to be a real key hey thanks bradley we really appreciate all those questions uh, we were talking about shelter belt weed control um, within the last week or so here and uh, one of the questions that came in this one came from rick he said what do you guys think about chemical mowing in the tree belt uh, using something like glyphosate or even plateau to control weeds rather than mowing and so forth. Well, yeah, you can. It's just what all are we going to kill? What's the cost? And I mean, you have to be careful if you're using things like that. So if you want to go out there with glyphosate, that's typically. So let me step back. When we plant a shelter belt, because we've done this several times, probably once every 10 years throughout my life, we've put in a shelter belt. And what we will typically do is try to keep it completely weed-free for about the first three years, and then we will go ahead and seed some grass. And once we have the grass in, then we'll go spray. And in fact, our guys are spraying today, as we speak, Freelex in our shelter belts right now. So I'm fine with controlling the weeds, but in terms of controlling everything out there, I, I'm not a real big fan doing that forever. For a little while, I get it because you got to get that that shelter built off to a good start. But after that, we like having the grass in there because otherwise you just start having a lot of erosion issues. So that's probably the biggest thing I'd say. All right, then we get a question from TM. What do I need to know about dual magnum herbicide? I'd love to see a detailed video about that. I, I guess I'd need some specific questions on. I could talk for an hour on dual, and yeah. that is not a joke. So I, I think so too. So just the the difference between metolachlor and the S metolachlor in dual magnum, they've they've basically taken the more active portion of isomers. that molecule uh, yep. to to get uh, more killing power for your weeds. And dual or metolachlor is a chemistry that gets used in a lot of different crops. It's one that is a shoot inhibitor, so it needs to stay fairly concentrated in the top inch or so of soil. That's when it works the best, and it has no contact activity, so it's got to catch those weeds as they're germinating and the shoots are starting to head towards the soil surface. Keep those things in mind, and you should have good luck using metolachlor. We're going to be talking about plant tissue analysis on our show today. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake both sides of the row, three inches from the seed, and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. 
in stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking a little about plant tissue analysis and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got our friend Chad Henderson down in Alabama. He's with the Extreme Ag Group and, and also operates a very high-yielding farm in Alabama. Uh, Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, yeah, good to be on. All right, I know you're watching nutrients on your farm. Talk to us about that process. How much weight do you put into soil tests, tissue tests, uh, and other methods? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, they all play a role. You know, soil tests and hands off to the tissue test to make sure everything goes like we say or like we think it should be going. And then, we, you know, we'll eventually, you know, through the year, we'll also pull soil tests with tissue tests in the same location. And that really starts, you know, doing hand-in-hand hand with each other. But yeah. we rely on our tissue tissue samplings in front of any spraying that we're going to do. You know, let's say in front of our herbicide spraying will be our first one. And then we go from there and keep going up. I like your comment about the tissue test and the soil test in the same location. I, I've had We've had so many questions over the years from growers that say, hey, here's my soil test and here's a plant tissue test and look at how wildly different these numbers are. And then the follow-up question that I have is, okay, well, where was this pulled and where was this one pulled? <laughs> oh, well, it's one sample for my whole field and it wasn't even pulled in the same spot. Do you see a lot of variance throughout your ground, Chad? Well, we do. We see a lot of variance. And, it, you know, it's just like when we grid sample. I mean, it's the same premises when we grid sample for our lime in the fall. You know, we try to get in that same grid and we'll do the same thing. And, and we'll get it on, you know, have three or four main, you know, a couple of two to three main soil types. And then we'll get into those main soil types and do our tissue sampling where we got something that's relevant. You know, um, you know, a, a wise man once told me one time that, uh, you know, that tissue test is just a snapshot of, you know, what we're seeing right now. So we put weight in the tissue test, but we don't put all the weight in the tissue test. You know, it's just it's just what's going on right now in that plant. You know what your program is, and you know what you've done, 
and you know what what you're looking at you know all right so what are you looking at out in your fields right now how big is the corn uh, are the fields all planted is everything looking great so far Woo. so we just started back planting we could have started yesterday but we waited one more day so we started back we have 700 acres planted uh we're gonna have about 2500 acres this year so we've we've, we've been wet we've been wet and we're you know we've planted about three days you know of, of good planting days and like i said we started today and we'll run hard through the weekend here uh but the corn's up the corn we first started with the 29th of march is up and it looks good looks good well that's good to hear it, you know the the rain delays i know are tough sometimes to sit through but uh hey if we get warm weather we get some good moisture in the soil that crop could take off really fast and catch up you know, and, and too, you know, I like to I like to get some crop up before I get finished. You know, it lets me know my section controls was right. You know, you always hate to get done, and all of a sudden you got a gap at three foot out there in the field where you thought you checked it and you thought everything was right, and then it's not. So there's a lot of things, you know, that that a rain delay will will help you out. You know, you can maintenance your planter some more and work on meters and you know check that and make sure that things are in tune. And it's you know. It's, it's good to get some corn up before you get finished. I'm glad you mentioned all those things you can do on those rainy days because we do get those questions from our non-farm listeners too that say, oh, man. man, farmers, they just put the crop in the ground and then they got nothing oh, to do. No. no, no, no. There's there's plenty of work. <laughs> so I run all my meters before my planter started. And then I run every – then when a rain delay, you know, comes. And, and I'll work on the meters if I've got one that's not acting right in the field. But then when a the rain day comes and, you know, I've got those rowed down in the cabin, we really dissect those meters and make sure that everything's in tune on this thing. Because, you know, we can't plant but one. So, this, you know, we need to do the best job we possibly can when we fire this planter off. Oh, that's great advice. Uh, well, Chad, good luck to you guys as you get rolling again on the planting. Hopefully hopefully everything goes smooth and, and uh, stay yeah. safe. We'll talk again soon. Yep, yep. Yep, I hope everybody stays safe between me and you because there ain't much difference but outside of me and you. It's between me and you about as far as we can get, ain't we? You bet. You bet. Well, thanks, Chad. Really appreciate right. it. Y'all have a good day. Let's head up to the state of New York, a little bit further north than Alabama. we got Steve on with us right now. Steve, how's it going? Pretty good. Can, can you get two more extremes from Alabama to northern <laughs> New York? <laughs> well, we're trying to get across the whole country, and, man, that's a good way to do it is by phone. You can you can talk to people all over. What's happening up in New York? Are you guys rolling with planting yet, or has it been tough getting in the field? It's uh, Generally, we don't, we don't hammer till the end of April for barley, spring barley, or even our, our alfalfa seedings. And, but that put us first week, second week of May, and then it's, you know, all, all deals are off. We're going hard. So we, we're a good three weeks out before we really start getting cranked out. Okay, so you're putting the last little details on prep. Are you having trouble this year, uh, supply issues, getting parts, any of those kinds of things, or is it all working out for you? Um, parts, you know, we, through the winter, we do our service work and our fluid changes and our cab filters and air filters, and we've been delayed slightly. It, it's not catastrophic. It's a couple weeks. And then on some of the implements, we've been delayed. But again, it's, if you're patient and your calendar is on a schedule, you can, you can uh, work around that. Um, inputs, um, they've been available. And rarely do I dive out before the first of the year. At least I order them, but do I ever have to plunk down cash? Well, this year, if you wanted your, your pop-up or you wanted your fertilizers, you, you had to put down cash, and we did it. I'm excited. Our, our shed is full of 
chemicals and fertilizer and other things, but um, cash flow's tight. Just uh, everything's up, and we had to put out a significant amount of money ahead of time. Yeah, it's a different year, no doubt about that. And and you look at the crops, you mentioned barley and alfalfa. I know there are corn and beans up in your area. Are guys mixing things up? I know out our way, there's some guys saying, well, the nitrogen price is high. I'm going to switch a few acres to beans. And then there's other guys that say, man, I've got I've got access to manure. I'm going to switch more acres to corn. Are, are guys in your area switching things up or sticking with rotations? No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, we're going to give up some corn acres for some beans. Small grains are off the charts, and I'm told by our seed supplier, forget about it for uh, oats or barley or rye or, or wheat. It's almost non-existent because people have switched. And um, myself, I'm a livestock farmer, so manure is always very dear to me. But I'm also working under a, a broiler network, a poultry network, and those guys are getting record money for their manure for the crop guys so it's it is a very interesting year um you, you never thought you'd see such a upside down and, and change but i guess you'll you live long enough um i'm in my mid-50s never thought i'd see some of these crazy times but you know the next generation is probably going to see the same so hopefully we'll coach them up for these hard times and these challenging times you know the financial management is certainly different this year than it's been, than it's been. I mean, everything is costing a lot more. There's a lot at risk out there. Do you use plant tissue analysis with any of these crops that you're raising to try to dial in nutrition? Yeah, I I love uh, tissue analysis. I I wish I was more diligent about it, or even had a crop specialist on the farm that could do it. Uh, I'd like to do more of it in between whether it's cuttings or stages, I'd love to send that tissue sample. It's really just information collection. Not much you can do that minute, except if you have the records and you can build a manual, um, you kind of know what's going on. So I do it as much as I can. I wish I could do it more, but it's, it's definitely a very good tool to use. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that we're we're watching things, and and plant tissue analysis is one of them. And you mentioned manure, and a lot of guys say, well, manure's got a lot of nutrition in there too. I assume you're doing some testing on the manure just to see how much is in there from year to year. Yeah, we are. That's that's a great point. We try to compost if we have the storage as much as possible, and my soil guy is is helping us uh, work through that. Um, and you know, as we know, you're, what are you going to get the first year? Maybe a 40%, 50% kick on nitrogen. But if you do it long enough, I mean, you're building on not only organisms, but you're building up nutrients that, that stay for a long time. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's good to manage what we're putting out there. We get a lot of different nutrient sources for our crop and uh, keeping an eye on what we're putting out and what is actually making into the crop. That's what we do with plant tissue analysis. Super important. Well, Steve, good luck to you guys. I know uh, you aren't quite ramped up yet on the planting, but it's coming soon. So good luck to you and stay safe. We're, we're itching and God bless you guys out in the West. We saw the snow and some of my uh, beef farming brothers out there, we really feel for you. So, uh, let, let, let you know we're, we're thinking of you and praying for all you guys out there. Thanks, Steve. We really appreciate that. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. 
That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers everywhere are discovering Germinator closing wheels. Dick from Iowa says, in every case, our germination rate was better than expected. Total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh, man, we're excited. On, on our farm, we got planters rolling out in the field, and soil conditions are actually really pretty good. We got some manure application going on. It's just a busy time. I know our Ag PhD crew's out filming everything, of course, trying to capture everything happening out there. Uh, I love days like today. Now, on the radio show, we're talking about plant tissue analysis, and we're also taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota here. We got Kelly on with us right now, wants to talk a little safflower. Kelly, how are you doing today? <laughs> hey, guys. How are you doing? Well, I think we're doing better than a lot of folks in North Dakota. Are We missed the snow down here for the most part. How, how are you sitting on your farm? All the the quarter track was covered in snow, so I just let it sleep. Oh my goodness! So I I didn't really bother it, you know. But it's re it's gonna roll. 
it's going to roll soon. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not one of those corn stars like you guys are. Let's say I've got this question on safflower. Do you think you got time for that? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, good. Say, you know, we're, we're talking about world events here, and, you know, the corn and soybean, wheat prices are all doing good, and we're sort of a, a cereal cereal grower out in western North Dakota. But one thing we like to do is a crop rotation with a broadleaf, and for us, safflower has worked fairly well. It's kind of like growing a thistle, you know, so if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> there you, you know? go. So, <laughs> well, I've, I've got to keep my question on the sta- straight and narrow because I know Brian's on the line. So. <laughs> Good point, anyway, Kelly. <laughs> say, do you, do you guys have a program that you recommend as far as uh, chemical for growing safflower? There's not a lot of things that are labeled for it. But I was wondering if growing safflower wouldn't be comparable to uh, your three pre-program and growing conventional soybeans. I just I would like to hear your editorial on that. Yeah, it, it's more like growing sunflowers is kind of the way I look at it because post-emerge you don't have all the options that we do as corn and soybean farmers. So you have to do a fantastic job pre. So let me just ask you this: What are your top two or three weeds that you're really after? Oh, you're not going to be surprised to hear this one. Kosha and kosha. Hmm, shocker. So it, how about, <laughs> So basically, if we can get the kosha under control, you're feeling pretty good is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, what we've been doing is we'll lay down a, a yellow and incorporate that. Yep. And that has been fairly successful. And I can't remember what right. we, if it was Sonalan or Treflan. Yep. And we've been successful. But we also have had some recent success with the Section 18 putting Prowl H2O down ahead of wheat. There's yep. some sort of Section 18 where we got that labeled. But the issue of, of how we get control of our late weeds, like kosher and our safflower, has been an issue. Okay, so in safflower, what else have you used? Just the yellow or anything else? Uh, mostly a yellow and burn down roundup to control the grass gotcha okay so what our suggestion would be is i'd put the yellow down and then i'd use spartan along with it that's the same thing as authority that we would use in soybeans so to your point when we talk about this three pre thing it's always a yellow and then either authority or valor well you can't use valor but you can use this spartan same thing as authority you can't use metribuzin, and so that's that's the real difference that we've got. So, yeah, basically we're going to talk to you about the same type of thing that, hey, you know what, if you get that, that Spartan out there, because it's a PPO, it's going to give you pretty decent control on kosher just by itself. But then you put it together with the yellow that's not bad. Now you've really got something because the problem is post-emerge. I mean, I, I just, I got nothing for you. I, there's nothing that I know of post-emerge that's going to kill that kochia. We just don't have broadleaf killers. It's the same issue that we've got in sunflower. So that's why it's so important to start with all the possible modes of action that you can. Now, I'll throw two other things out at you that could be used if you wanted to. Number one, you've got Eptam. That's the same as old Eradicane. Now, if you use Eptam once about every five or ten years, works really good on kochia. You also have Dual Magnum, uh, or just one of the dual products, and that's a Group 15. 
So you have that also. Now, neither one of those is going to be as good as a yellow or especially as good as Spartan. So if it's me and I say, hey, I'm going to try to do the best I can. I'm not going to throw everything at it, but I'm going to throw mostly most everything at it. I'm going to go yellow plus Spartan, and then I'm in good shape. And then post-emerge, I'd come along with any grass killer, like let's call it select or post, you know, clethodim, something like that. And there you go. Oh, one other thing, and I realize this is off the topic of the safflower, but you brought See, up the section wait a second, Kelly. 18. Kelly, you, Brian's just going off topic here. Is that well, is that he, allowed he, since he, you're trying to stay on topic? <laughs> hey, hey, this is your show, guys. I'm just here enjoying it. Hey, he hey he brought this up, Darren. He said section 18 prowl ahead of wheat. Uh, yes, I, I'm not. I, I mean, you you could legally do that. But that's not something that I would like to see you do. And the reason why is because prowl can be hard on the grass crops like wheat and corn. So you'll see that prowl could be used in wheat or corn. But we will never recommend that on our show or as an agronomist or as a farmer. I'm not doing that because it's going to ding up the wheat or ding up the corn. So I don't like that. I'd use something else if it's me. Okay. Okay, well... That sounds good. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, let us know how your safflower <laughs> turns out. But uh, you, you do the yellow and PPO Spartan, and you should be in pretty good shape. Yellow and PPO. Yep. Got it. Thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks, Thanks, Kelly. Kelly. Really appreciate it. it. Good luck to you guys up north. Uh, let's head down, back down to Alabama. Got Mike on with us right now. And, Mike, did you get rained out too, or you guys been rolling in the field? No, we got rained out, but you guys put me in a box here. You made me follow Chad. Those boys <laughs> up at Henderson Farms are rock stars. So, I mean, they've got an extension agent working with them, Eddie McGriff, and they are putting real numbers to all these things that we're trying, and they are helping teach a lot of people. But they're great. I'm I'm right there with Chad. I we got about 600 acres planted on the 28th to 29th of March. It it took it nine days to come out of the ground, but it, it came out good. I've got some wet spots to ground out, but we've been cool, but. I'm not back at it today, but we hope to get back in tomorrow and, and get back at it. A little wet, but had the opportunity to like do some tuning up, like you said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, now, on, one thing on we were tissue oh, sampling, go, I yeah, mean, go ahead. he hit it. Yes, sir, go ahead. I was going to say, Chad Chad talks about corn a lot, Mike. He talks about corn. He's not bragging about his beans. I wonder what's going on over there. Just because he thinks you want to know about corn. He's raising some phenomenal beans, too. Don't, don't let him sandbag you. <laughs> okay, so tell me tell me you about know, the beans, then. It, it, Maybe Alabama's the a sweet spot. Well, we're just trying to learn to get better every day. That's all we can do. But, you know, he, he said it's just it's one piece of the puzzle, and it really is. It's, it's like a tissue sample is like looking at a window that's kind of dirty, and the more samples you take, you kind of clean it off, and you get to see more in there. It's, you know, we do all we can early with lime, fertilizer, drainage, get everything right. But the tissue sampling is, is we can see how we're doing in the crop. And, and while we're doing that, it's our last place that we can add value to this crop before we say, well, before we look at the yield monitor and say, all right, what are we going to do for next year? With those tissue samples, we can see what we've done right. We can see if we missed something that's obvious. And, and like I said, the soil samples coinciding with the tissue samples help you find that piece that you're lacking and and one little piece and this year is a phenomenal year with with our commodity prices yeah we're willing to put a little more money into it because it's going to pay back real easy 
if, if we know where to put it. Exactly. And I think next year is probably going to be even more important because, you know, you guys said our input costs are going up. The availability is going up. Next year is scarier to me than this year. I think there's going to be some supply chain issues. I think fertilizer is going to stay high. So if we look at our soil samples and we say we're good here, so we're not going to put down as much as we would in a, in a more economic year for fertilizer. So we back off a little bit our inputs, but where did, did we do something too far? Oh, that's, we, you know, that is a great, say, that's a okay, great point, Mike. That, that should probably be a whole show on here. If you cut back this year, good luck trying to make it up next year. Hey, good tips, Mike. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Oh. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking plant tissue analysis on the show today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Wisconsin. Got Kyle on with us right now. Kyle, how are things going in Wisconsin? Oh, not too bad, fellas. Not too bad. Uh, could be better, could be worse. Always room for improvement, but uh, we're in pretty good shape right now. Uh, hoping to be planting sometime in about a week from now. Uh, soil temps are really cold yet. A uh, little on the moist side, but it can change pretty quick. I'd say if we had a couple days of sunshine and, and breeze, uh, we'll get right back to where I'd like to be. Uh, soil temps about 20 minutes ago were uh, like 39 to 40 degrees everywhere. Okay. We were there uh, not too long ago, too, and today we're out planting. We got soil temps up over 50, and uh, sun is shining, and you're right. Things can change in a hurry this time of year. You bet. So we're talking plant tissue analysis on the show today. Got any comments on that? You know, we've been uh, doing pretty regular soil sampling, uh, soil all of our ground every three years, and been doing that for uh, 18, 20 years now. And uh, really had things dialed in, I thought, um, and for many years using the same old uh, co-op they kept telling us, especially in corn, uh, nitrogen is our yield limiting factor. And then about 11, 12 years ago, I heard about this thing called tissue sampling, and I was like, well, let's give it a try. And we did it right before we, uh, we did some side dressing, and then we did it again after, and that's when I discovered, hey, uh, nitrogen really isn't our yield limiting factor. It was sulfur. And I would have never known that before tissue sampling. Our corn always looked green. It always looked great before and after side dressing. But, man, it was an eye-opener. And we've really been focusing on our sulfur now. And we put on some form of sulfur just about every pass through the fields, whether it's planting or or uh, some type of weed control or uh, fungicide. We try to incorporate some type of sulfur every time. And I don't know if the environment is just getting cleaner, but even with those increased sulfur applications, every time we tissue sample, which is about every 10 days, we're still slightly deficient in some areas on sulfur, but we're definitely working on it. but without those tissue samples, we would have never known that. And even though we're deficient, we're slightly deficient on sulfur, um, we're, we're not in a bad place, but we're not where I'd like to be. Um, it still makes me wonder, okay, if we could really get to where we're at, uh, how much more yield is out there? But that said, even though we're still a little deficient on sulfur, our yields have gone up. I can see that as a result of getting that extra sulfur in there. Um, so it's definitely worthwhile doing, um, last year we did some experiments. We do some 15 inch beans, some 30 inch beans. Well, it happened to be, we were out, uh, wide dropping corn and we had a farm of 30 inch beans just down the road. And we had a few hundred gallons left in the sprayer of a 32 ATS blend. I sent the sprayer out there and I just had them do a straight rate of 18 gallons of that mix per acre and tissue samples on side-by-sides came back completely uh, the same whether we we uh, we would do 60 foot strips all the way through the field 60 foot 
of applied product and then 60 feet of control all the way across the field. It didn't look any different, but I still suspected there was going to be a difference. But you know what? When the tissue samples came back, you could not tell a difference. They were absolutely the same on nitrogen and on sulfur and on all the other microbes that we test for. Interesting. Yes, so tissue sampling helped there as well. You know, otherwise I would have had a warm, fuzzy feeling about, hey, we got some opportunity to feed our beans a little bit more. Let's do it. Well, it didn't show any difference on the tissue sampling. And you know what? When it came to fall harvest last year, when we were out there with the way wagon checking our strips, um, the way wagon also indicated zero difference other than the beans that were treated with the Y dropping were about a pound, a pound and a half heavier per bushel. That was really the only difference in those beans. Uh, no standability differences, uh, no white mold differences. But uh, we try to do like you guys. We do a lot of our own research in-house. And uh, I like to get our neighbors talking. So every single one of our fields is a split planter field. And we're doing side-by-side trials all the time. Um, and, and I just love to get the neighbors talking and we learn a lot at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's super fun to do it. You're right. And everybody is watching. And, and I think anybody listening today too, you're, you're probably thinking, yeah, I know the guy like Kyle in my area <laughs> that we all kind of <laughs> keep an eye on. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking, Kyle, when you mentioned the sulfur being a yield limiting factor for you. Have you noticed a difference uh, in your soils with sulfur holding capacity, with organic matter, with CEC, those kinds of things? Do you say, hey, on these soils, I can hold sulfur a little better? Or do you see, man, I just don't have much carryover sulfur anywhere because we're just short? We are just short. When we compare our tissue samples to our soil samples and then overlay them on soil maps, and we're just short all the way across the board. We're not terribly short, but we're just in that barely deficient area. Um, but nevertheless, it's something that I feel uh, if you're not continuously working on it and pulling those tissue samples and pulling those soil samples, um, you're definitely going to get behind the eight ball really quick, and then you're going to have to try to make up, and it's it's going to be a scramble to make up, I'm thinking, because of the fact that it's so hard just to maintain what we've already got. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Well, kudos to you guys for for trying to measure things down to, hey, let's look at test weight. Let's look at standability. Let's just see what other things we can notice because, hey, it might not have paid for yield, uh, paid for itself with yield this year, but if we notice I'm getting some big change there, that might make it worth doing over a three- or five-year period, not not just on a one-year oh. return. For sure. For the cost and the time it takes to do a tissue sample, it's it's an extremely valuable tool in our toolbox. And uh, we get so many farmers in our area, you know, the old school guys that, um, you know, they ask about this, they ask about that. I said, well, what are your tissue samples indicate? And they're like, a, a tissue what? What do you do? <laughs> yes. And it's like, and they, and they always tell me, well, the co-op says you should put on X number of units of this and X number of units of that. And then I hear the seven, what I call the seven worst words in agriculture. That's the way we've always done it. And um, we never say that on our operation. And um, we're always changing things. And it keeps it fun and it keeps it exciting. 
Yeah, that is true. And I, I look forward to this year, like you mentioned, uh, just waiting for things to warm up, waiting for conditions to get right to get out there. But when you get all those trials to get ready, I, I know what you mean. You just get antsy. Yeah. And then about halfway through the summer, sometimes when I've done everything I can do, then I'm like, I just wish it was harvest now because I could find out if this actually yeah. worked or not. I always say my favorite month is August because pretty much all of our crop protection is put on and our wide dropping is all done. And then I can just walk fields and really focus on it really hard and say, okay, this might be working. This might not be working. This works so far. Is something else going to kick in and take us home? Uh, what can we change for next year and make it, make it even better? Um, but I, I just, it, I love to keep it exciting and trying new things. And, uh, I, I love getting the neighbors talking. That's my thing. I always like to pull the planter out about two weeks before anybody else does and just open it up in a field and park it there. And then all of a sudden I get the parade of neighbors that come by and, Oh my God, are they out planting, you know, just to get them worked up. And, uh, they do the same thing every day, every time we actually do start planting, uh, because we have a high speed planter and we'll run nine to 10 miles an hour. And Oh my God, nobody else has something like that around. And <laughs> it, it's, a, it's amusing to watch everybody. Absolutely. Well, I can hear the passion in your voice and uh, look forward to hearing how things, how things turn out for you this year. Kyle, good luck uh, this spring. Stay safe and, and have fun. Look forward to seeing you guys this summer at the field day. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, we are looking forward to the Ag PhD field day. By the way, it is the last Thursday in July. It's Thursday, July 28th this year. You can find all the details at agphd.com. Thanks for mentioning that, Kyle. Really appreciate that. Uh, we'll continue the discussion on plant tissue analysis, and we'll get into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
Farmers across the country are raving about the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Paul from New York says, My planter has never worked so well on soybeans. I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more success stories from farmers everywhere and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. Get tough on resistant weeds. Tough IVC is a selective, contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough IVC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking a little bit about plant tissue analysis and taking your calls and questions. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get back to the phone lines here. We've got Jim calling in from South Dakota with a question about fertilizer. Jim, how's it going today? Well, I'm doing great, guys. I got a cart and some fertilizer on it for nutrient, and I'm putting her down and hoping it's going to rain tonight or tomorrow, but things usually don't go that way. And uh, <laughs> I'm going, I'm just going like a starter, you know, some 60 pounds of N and then some P and K I need to balance that I did for sampling. Um, how long do I have? With the, the ground's pretty cool. And yep. lay on the ground, and... and how long do I have? Two, three days to get 70 degrees tomorrow, like we're talking? Okay so, uh, okay, so tell me a little bit more about what you're putting on. Is this liquid or dry? Let's start with that. Dry. 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 Okay. And is there urea in there, or is this just a blend of, like, map and potash? I think it's urea in here. I didn't even look at the ticket. I think it's still. Okay. Still me, but I, I don't know Yep. Okay. I got to all right. Yep. Okay, so I'm only putting about 60, 70 pounds on red 60 of, of N. My P and K, I'm pretty certain won't go anywhere, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about that. So, let's put it this way: with urea, you have about 48 hours before you're going to start losing it. Today. For example, in our geography here in South Dakota, we're getting 60-degree temps, lots of sun, some wind. The next couple days, they're talking about chance of rain and lots of wind. But the conditions that will make this worse are the hotter it is, the sunnier it is, and the windier it is. So if we do happen to get a little bit of rain in the next couple days, um, a little bit is actually not going to help you a lot. What we need is... I don't know, maybe a couple tenths, three tenths, something like that. You need enough to get it down into the ground. I mean, ideally half an inch or more would be would be best, but a, a tiny little drizzle, let's call it, and you get five hundredths out of it, that actually can make things worse because it will dissolve a lot of that urea, it'll be laying on the soil surface, and then you're going to start losing it to evaporation. So yeah, there's some risk there, but you know, it, you're right. It's a cooler time of year. We only have three days here where it's supposed to be warm, and then it's going to get cold again. We got a chance of rain. So if it's me, would I try it? 
sure, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd give it a shot. As far as your P and your K, you don't have any risk there. So the only thing that I'm worried about would be the nitrogen component. And then I guess the second little question, these old fertilizer cart shredders, you know? Yep. I guess it depends on your GPS or your, and your, you know, how well you do it. They're, they're calibrated or fairly accurate. I guess we never went over that this winter compared to the, to the blowers, you know? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of the, like the old spinner spreaders, they, they surprisingly work pretty well compared to the, uh, the airflow machines that are out there. Now I will say this, the windier it gets, the more problem you're going to have with the spinner spreader. And you could, could keep going a little bit longer with those airflow machines. So we got one ourselves, got a, a used floater here, I don't know, a couple of years ago or something like that. And it's really nice because we can haul more fertilizer around. We are a little bit less worried about wind and I'm not maybe as concerned about the calibration, but I'm still always concerned about calibration because when you start thinking about it every day, especially now with fertilizer prices at a record high, you're spreading lots of money out there. If you think about every fertilizer, uh, every acre of fertilizer as dollars instead of pounds, you go, okay, I got a lot of, a lot of dollars I'm investing here. I'd kind of like it to be spread accurately. And I will tell you, this goes back almost 30 years ago. We bought our own spinner spreader way back then because we were unhappy with the equipment that we got to use. In effect, um, we would basically rent it from the local co-op. It, 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 we always had problems. We always had to fix it. wasn't calibrated right, had lots of issues, so we just bought our own. And that's one of the things that we do encourage a lot of people to look at. If, if you start doing quite a few acres, you're going to spread stuff yourself, just buy the equipment. I mean, long term, well, number one, it should last you lots of years. And if, let's say, you keep it 10, 20 years, you'll probably, 10, 20 years from now, get what you paid for it originally. So you don't really have a whole lot of cost problem there. So it, 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 we just feel like it's a pretty good investment having your own equipment. But regardless, I don't care if it's yours, it's somebody else's, it doesn't matter. We're always going to suggest you calibrate and then continue monitoring that as the season goes along to make sure you're investing those dollars wisely. Anything else, Jim? Have you, uh, so much, have you sold your eight-dollar corn for fall yet, or, or not? Or locked in? Um, we only sold a little bit of corn. This is a while back when we started uh, buying. I don't remember if it was fertilizer or something ahead. And and at this point, I and no one knows. Okay, but at this point, right. I don't think corn's going to go go. Get go down drastically because of all the factors that are out there in the market today, and I could I could list all those. We've talked about them often here on the show. So no, we we really haven't. We've sold almost nothing ahead this year for the first time in quite a few years because there is, in my opinion, not a lot of downside risk. And honestly, I think it could go up even a little bit more. So, but you never know. I could be dead wrong. Right, and where do we get to the point where the end user can't afford it? You know, like. There's always a concern that commodity prices reach a point and people start saying, yeah, no, I'm not going to spend that money there. But when you look around at the other commodities and what the options are, when you take Ukraine and Russia out of the equation in the world uh, commodity market, 
that changes things dramatically. And we, quite frankly, haven't seen that for years and years. So I, I, I don't know exactly how to operate in this market because it is a global market and we have some factors this year that we don't typically see. In fact, in my lifetime, as a grain marketer, a farmer, an agronomist, I really haven't seen this. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just know that as a farmer, and I look at my own farm, boy, we have the opportunity this year to make some pretty good money. So yeah, it's getting pretty tempting. We're getting to some really good price levels. And, you know, at some point we'll probably pull the trigger here. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, you know, I went to uh, one of those farm credit things back in was it December, and they were saying, you know, get half of it locked in, and I was like, boy, I hate to do that. <laughs> you know, we got lucky yeah but yep you bet thanks for the call jim appreciate it yeah you know he's talking about grain marketing and i look at grain marketing a lot like the stock market they've shown many times where they will literally take a monkey have him throw a dart at a board and that monkey can pick out stocks just as good as the world's leading expert so it's really hard because there are so many factors when it comes to grain marketing and the stock market. No one really knows. I wish we had the answer. Um, <laughs> anyway, my, my dad would often talk about once. that. I would often talk about that. And he's like, look, if I had the answers, I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere just enjoying life. Cause I'd be so unbelievably rich. It'd be, it'd be incredible. But I, I would say we're number one, super optimistic about this year for crop farmers that we have a chance to make good money. And as I say that, and don't get me wrong, I feel bad for whoever has to buy the, the this high-priced grain, but I would also look at just a couple years ago, we had super unbelievably cheap grain, and we had to sell a whole bunch of grain at way below production cost. So there have been some rough times here for a lot of us crop farmers too. The next thing that I would say is with the price of gasoline today, if people get on board with some more ethanol right now, we could maybe lower the gas price a little bit. And I mean, in terms of ethanol, could they can they afford the seven or eight dollar corn right now? You bet. So anyway, we we could and we occasionally do have whole shows on ethanol and talking about that thing. But uh, we got to wrap things up for today. All right, yeah, lots going on out in fields as farmers in many parts of the country are finally getting back into the field. We talked to a couple guys down in Alabama that are just getting going again. I know here, even on our own farm, we're just really getting going again out in the field. So just keep in mind, as you get really busy, I know it seems like, man, we got to go, 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 go. Keep safety first. Keep it at the top of your mind. Don't take chances. Take care of yourself. Uh, make sure you're eating halfway is decent, getting enough rest too. I know that's hard to hard to do this time of year also, but take care of yourself out there. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.